baseball fans. It's time to take a trip from coast to coast across Major League Baseball. There it goes, a long drive. If it stays fair, home run. One strike away. Sandy into his windup. Here's the pitch. Swung out and missed a perfect game. Fly ball deep left center. Grissom on the run. Yes, yes, yes. The Atlanta Braves have given you a championship. Listen to this crowd. Braves and baseball talk straight from the diamond. Here's Grant McCauley. Hello again and welcome to another episode of From the Diamond. I'm Grant McCauley and we continue our Braves positional preview series, The Audio Companion, and we have reached part five. It's time to talk about the Atlanta Braves outfield. And to help me do that, my buddy Corey McCartney will be jumping on the show in just a moment. Before we get to that, though, I want to remind you, you can subscribe to the show on Apple Podcasts, Google Play, Spotify, SoundCloud, and Stitcher. Subscriptions, shares, ratings, and reviews, always welcome. Keep those coming in. Totally appreciated. And they help out the show immensely. So thank you very much for all of those make sure you're following along on social media you can find the show on twitter at from the diamond underscore i am at grant mccauley and you can find Corey at Corey j mccartney on instagram at from the diamond there and i am at grant mccauley on instagram as well and every episode of this show this braves positional preview series all the articles and all the good stuff that we bring you can be found at from the diamond.com All right, it's time to take our focus on part five of this five-part series, the grand finale, if you will, and the Braves outfield is the topic of this part of the Braves positional preview series. And once again, to help me break it all down is Corey McCartney. He is the author of Tales from the Atlanta Braves Dugout. You can follow him on Twitter as well, at Corey J. McCartney. Corey, hope you've been well, and we got to figure out who exactly is going to be playing in the Braves outfield, when and where. Man, I can't believe we're at the end of this thing, but this may be the most exciting one, right? you got the new big addition. You got one of the best players in all of baseball. I'm looking forward to this one. Yeah, well, that's a good place to start. One of the best players in all of baseball. The Braves have him under control, contractually speaking, for quite some time because he signed a nice big decade-long extension with them last year. And, of course, I'm talking about Ronald Acuna Jr. at 22 years old as he comes into this season. If you're looking for an encore to a Rookie of the Year campaign, then I would say a run at 40-40 and a finish in the top five of the MVP award would be a pretty good way to do that, don't you think? I say, what more is there to say? But you know, we're about to spend a lot more time. We're about to talk on a lot more. You can say about Ronald Acuna Jr., but he just feels like we have a front row seat at just something spectacular. I mean, yeah. Uh, I mean, no offense to Freddie Freeman, who's been you know a lot of fun to be around and watching him kind of become that next foundational piece for this franchise. And there's going to be kids who are going to grow up, and they grew up in the the Freddie Freeman era, and that's going to be their guy for a lot of good reasons. But it's just so different with Acuna to have somebody that that you feel like okay, this guy has every capability of establishing himself as the best player in all of baseball uh, in a very short time period. And it's been a lot of fun. I don't know that Atlanta's really had anything like that in any sport since, you know, you think about Michael Vick, Dominique Wilkins. I mean, we're talking about that level of of superstar and what they do, and, and it's been a lot of fun to watch. No, it certainly has. And when you think about the kind of names that Ronald Acuna Jr. is already being associated with both in Braves history and in Atlanta sports, the current or past, and of course what the future could be for this kid. And you can't help but get excited because what we've seen the last couple of years alone has been enough, at least in my mind, to put him up there in the 
finalist for best player not named Mike Trout in Major League Baseball right now, and that's a pretty short list as well. Yeah, I mean, this is rare territory for the, you know, the Braves to have somebody this young, this good, this cheap. And we start thinking about that contract yeah. extension that he signed last April. I mean, it's everything is there for for him to be, uh, you know, uh, every bit what we think he can. And um, to just watch the numbers unfold, I mean, this is as good as it gets. I mean, certainly there's some things that you want to see get a little bit better. I mean, uh, there were some defensive lapses last year yeah. uh, in center field. I mean, you think about, I mean, he made that spectacular run-saving catch against the Mets in August. Uh, there was the missed robbery of Scott Kingery that got turned into an inside-the-park home run. Misjudged the ball off the bat of Cody Bellinger that could have been another home run robbery. Uh, he had a 0. 0.7 uh, defensive war that was 19th among players who spend at least 10% of their time in center field. Just had one defensive run saved at that position. Yeah. By and large, if you look at all of the season for him, uh, I don't think that's where we think he's going to get the most innings uh, by season's end. Uh, but I think when he is there, that's we're nitpicking, right? I mean, you're asking for a guy that got thrust into playing center field last year right. to be better at a position that's not necessarily where we want him at long term. But that's where we're at with a guy that's this good. Well, let's stick a pin in the nitpicking because, of course, Ronald was the subject of that for a couple of different lapses throughout the season. But that doesn't take anything away from the talent, I think, the energy and the style in which he plays the game. And I think that's important to come back on because I know that, you know, he caught a lot of grief a couple of times, you know, specifically for base running lapses. Just, you know, the things that I think some young players just run into every once in a while and, I don't want to nitpick, and I certainly don't want to pick him out as being the only guy that's ever done that because he's not. But I think that the bar gets set so high with the expectation based on the talent level alone that it just kind of ends up being uncomfortable, frustrating, whatever you want to call it, when you just see a guy that's so worlds above just about everyone else on that field at a given time just not be able to compete at the level that you would like to see all of the time. But again, I think that that's nitpicking, and I don't think that that's something that is the rule with him. I think it's the exception, and I think it's stuff that sometimes you learn those lessons and you're better off for them in the long term. So putting all of the nitpicking aside into a very small box where it belongs, let's take a look at the season this guy had last year. He batted 280, he on base 365, he slugged 518, 41 bombs, and then he also was nice enough as a leadoff hitter to drive in 101 runs, score 127 more, uh, which led the National League, and he also led the NL with 37 stolen bases. So I asked you earlier, what do you do for an encore when you win the Rookie of the Year award? I think that's a pretty darn good line when it comes to, oh, by the way, also an all-star, put on a show at the Home Run Derby, and it's just nightly. You want to tune in to see what this kid's going to do next. I mean, is 50-50 real? I just wonder, can you hit so many home runs as a leadoff hitter that you stop yourself from being able to get stolen bases. True. Uh, that I mean, isn't that kind yes. of what, yeah. that's part of it, right? I mean, can you be so good at the leadoff? And and then you've got a guy behind him and Ozzy Albies that's hit 24 East of the last few seasons. You've got Freddie behind him, 30 plus. So how many opportunities does he get to be aggressive? Yeah. That's kind of, to me, the question of getting the seals that he needs. Yeah, and that's a great question, too. And I went back and looked at this because the 50-50 quote, look, it's very exciting. And I would definitely sign up to see that. If that were a subscription service, I would have already given them my money to see that this year. <laughs> but when you look at the history of baseball and everyone who's ever played it, there have been two guys that at any point in their career hit 50 home runs in a season and stole 50 bases in a season. Not in the same year, but at any point in their career. So one, pretty obvious, is Barry Bonds. The other one, not as obvious, is Brady Anderson, whose numbers I had to go back and look at because I didn't realize at first that somebody besides Bonds had actually done this thing. But 
methods of all of those things aside for both of those gentlemen, as there are some questions about the home run column, at least, you know, Ronald Acuna Jr. is a legitimate 35 to 40 home run hitter every single year. He's going to be a guy that can steal 30 bases, I think, every year for a while. But you think about not only stealing 50 bases, but how many stolen base attempts would it take to get there? To your point, probably going to be upwards of 60 or more. And I'm just not sure the Braves are going to have anybody running 60 times in a year as far as stolen base attempts. And you go all the way across baseball, you may be able to count the guys who attempt 60 steals on one hand in 2020. And last year, I think he was pressing, right? I mean, there, yeah. were, there were games where you felt like he was just trying. He wanted it so badly to hit and to I don't get blame to that 40th steal. No, and you almost, I mean, I, I think it would have been great to have seen it happen. But I, I wonder if how much the shutting him down was because he wasn't right. And let's stop him from being aggressive and potentially aggravating it even more. Yeah, You know, I think that might have played into it as well. I wish he would have got it just because it would have been so much fun to have watched that happen. But hopefully we get to see another shot at it again. I mean, we've seen a lot of guys who have been at this level never get back to those plateaus again. Uh, You know, maybe the the power never goes anywhere. But again, does he get those opportunities at the steals? I don't think anybody's questioning that he has the ability to do it. It's just it's happened so few times because it's so difficult to do. Yeah, I mean, it's it's downright impossible. Obviously, 50-50's never happened in Major League Baseball. I would imagine it hasn't happened in pretty much any professional baseball league anywhere in the world. It's just an untenable amount of production that you're asking for from somebody, just unreachable in both of those categories. But, you know, I love the swagger and the confidence that comes with those kinds of comments. Even if it's half-joking, you know, the, the other thing is that he's a confident enough player to believe that he can – you know, shoot for that goal, and if he doesn't land in the 50-50 stratosphere, then he could land in the 40-40 club, and that that's not a bad place to have as your backup plan. But more than anything, I think that a lot of the focus for Acuna and for any young player, when you're that world's of talented, and every time you go out there, a lot's expected of you, both by your teammates, yourself, your fans, all of the media, the press, whatever you want to call it, all of the scrutiny that comes with that for him to really have that focus and that awareness on his level of play every single day to bring it uh, the best that he can, but also turning his focus to what is it that's helping his team win and being able to do those things. A lot of folks may look at that and say, well, that's that's kind of cliche. That's not the answer I want to hear. But for me, when I'm putting together 26 men that are going to go to war with each other, you know, alongside each other each and every night, that's an important component and a common thread that's got to run through the entire roster. Yeah, and you know, I don't think you can ever discount with Acuna the Aussie component, just how tight they are and, and how much that grounds him. Because I think, you know, you think about last year when he got removed from the game and, you know, the comments from Freddie weren't exactly, you know, exemplary of towards him, no. uh, you know, after the game. And, you know, neither were Snits. But I'm sure, you know, Ozzy's out there, you know, having conversations with them that nobody else can have, you know, and I think. If he doesn't have Ozzy in those situations, are you getting a 21-year-old kid that's feeling alienated? Because, he, he, you know, I think that's that's a large part of uh, of his comfort level in Atlanta is because of that relationship with Ozzy. And I think, I mean, it, it is cliche. It is cliche to talk about, you know, that being a, a big component for a professional ball player. But you also talk about a 22-year-old kid and, you know, somebody who's removed from his family, you know, has been here for what five years now yeah. uh, on U.S. soil, you know, away from where he grew up, and I think somebody that you can lean on like that, somebody his baseball hermano, you know, that, that thing's real. It's not just like a slogan for a T-shirt, and I think it's a big reason 
for the comfort level of him in Atlanta. Yeah, I mean, those two guys refer to themselves as brothers. They don't really need to make the determination of, oh, well, obviously we're not blood brothers, but they do consider themselves to have that kind of relationship, which I do think is big. And having both of those guys locked up, as we talked about Ozzy Albies back in the infield episode of this show, the outfield version of this show has the other half of the Braves' big extensions back in April of 2019, and that was Ronald Acuna Jr. locking in for a decade or so at around $100 million. And I think it's nine years, $99 million remaining on that deal as of uh, the 2020 season. But the Braves also got a steal on this kid by signing him for $100,000 back in 2014. So Ronald Acuna, in many ways, has been the gift that keeps on giving from the investment standpoint for the Braves. This is a blue-chip stock that they have invested in heavily and for good reason. I mean, this is a guy that we have sung his praises. We've talked about the accolades, and we've talked about the layers and the development that Ronald Acuna Jr. in a very short period of time has already undertaken. And as we said with Ozzy Albies on the last episode as well, best is yet to come with these guys, which is very exciting. But when it comes to 2020, the Braves made a decision in their outfield, very similar to the one that they made in their infield a year ago. It was Josh Donaldson last time. This time it's Marcelo Zuna. He's going to be locked in as the Braves left fielder on an everyday basis. That means that Ronald Acuna Jr. is going to be starting every day. But where is going to be the question? Uh, Corey, I would say just based on what I saw from Ronald Acuna Jr. in right field in a limited amount of games last year, just including the routes he was taking, the arm, the assists that he was racking up. You mentioned defensively speaking in center field. Not really a great season for Ronald, but it wasn't necessarily where he was expected to play every day either. I'm very excited about the prospect of Ronald Acuna Jr., Braves everyday right fielder, beginning in 2020. I agree with that. I think that makes a ton of sense. You know, I think that's where, as you mentioned, the arm kind of plays itself out. I think, again, he is just an above average kind of player there. I think when you start thinking about where he's going to win a gold glove at, I don't think it's going to happen in the center field based off of what we saw uh, last season. I think, you know, it all ultimately comes down to the, the bat of Ender and Ciarte, right? And if, if, if Ender's not hitting, then Acuna's got to play center field. Uh, there's just, there's nobody else in the system to do it. So that's the variable. I think the best bet is to keep Acuna in right field, but Ender's got to hit in order for that to happen. Yeah, he does. And I think that that's a big component of something we're going to talk about on this episode as we focus in on the Braves outfield and what it could look like on an everyday basis. But let's move on from Ronald Acuna Jr. and talk about the new acquisition, which was, of course, Marcelo Zuna. Uh, with Josh Donaldson leaving, the Braves needed to find some, I would say, not guaranteed power, but a known commodity that they were going to put in the middle of their lineup. And, Corey, I was a little bit surprised that Marcelo Zuna was not only still sitting out there, but also was willing to take a one-year deal. It makes a lot of sense on the one hand, and on the other hand, reports indicate that he turned down a multi-year contract offer from at least the Cincinnati Reds. This is another case of Alex Anthopoulos getting a player to bet on himself and for the Braves to kind of be in the right spot to hopefully reap the rewards of that. Certainly, you mentioned it. I mean, uh, Derek Gould getting him, uh, you know, a conversation from the St. Louis Dispatch, in which he said that things would have played, known it would play out like this. He probably would have just taken the qualifying offer from the Cardinals. But the Braves got a guy that, you know, I've had my sights on Azuna in a Braves uniform uh, since last, uh, mid last season. I think he just makes a ton of sense there. We saw how much he loved hitting in, in SunTrust Park, uh, now Truist Park, uh, last postseason. Certainly, there's a lot to live up to for him in, in terms of what Donaldson leaves behind. Uh, you know, we've seen him only hit that kind of production once. I mean, you think back in 2017, he was a five F4 player, 37 home runs, 388 uh, weighted on base average yeah. there. 
He's been an above average hitter uh, the last couple of years in St. Louis. Can he be that guy he was with the Marlins? I mean, certainly Freddie Freeman's hoping so. It's going to, I think, largely depend on what kind of pitching Freddie Freeman sees this season, uh, what Azuna is doing at the plate. But uh, we saw Josh Donaldson cash in, uh, taking a similar bet on himself, and let's see if Marcelo Azuna is able to do the same thing. It's a very similar case, that's for sure. And when you look at Ozuna's production a year ago with the St. Louis Cardinals, 29 home runs and 89 runs knocked in in 130 games, that in and of itself, I mean, those are the very old-school ways of looking at a power hitter that would let you know that he, he did some run production. But his slash line, of course, wasn't what you wanted it to be and wasn't anywhere close to what you laid out of his 2017 season with the Miami Marlins. 241 average last year for Ozuna, who missed a month with a broken finger as well. On base, about 330. Uh, slug just under 475. Had a great division series. The Braves will love having him in their lineup as opposed to having to face him next time around if it come down to that. But I think that the Braves are looking not necessarily at him replicating that monster year he had with the Marlins three years ago, hitting well over 300, slugging about 550 or so, all of the home runs and the runs batted in that you mentioned. This is just someone in Ozuna that the Braves are hoping can be a consistent power threat behind Freddie Freeman, which allows the rest of the lineup to do what it did a year ago when the pieces were moved around, when Acuna was put back at the top of the order to stay. Dansby Swanson, of course, was at the two spot for a while, but now that belongs to Ozzy Albies and Freddie Freeman hitting third, you had to have a legitimate cleanup hitter for this lineup to work anywhere close to the level that it did a year ago, in my opinion. Yeah, I mean, you could have overpaid for Nick Castellanos, but you certainly wouldn't have gotten him for a one-year deal. You know, I love the bat. You know, certainly the there's going to be a lot of neon green uh, sleeves in the stands this year, I'm sure. Yeah. I think he gets a bad rap for the defense, and I think a lot of people – point back to him trying to scale the wall in Bush Stadium, misjudging a ball and basically turning <laughs> yeah. into Spider-Man. Yeah. But if you look last season, his defensive war was, it was minus 0.4, right? But that was just right behind AL Gold Glove winner Alex Gordon, who was minus 0.3. He was better than two finalists for the award, Andrew Benintendi and Juan Soto. He had the best UZR over 158.6 of any qualified left fielder and was second in defensive run saved. And that right. was a down year for him defensively. So the glove is better than you think. And if he's a little bit better hitter consistently, a little bit, you know, higher than 109 WRC plus that he was last year in St. Louis, I think the Braves are going to get a bargain. Yeah, I do too. And essentially you mentioned him not taking the qualifying offer with the Cardinals, which he had to make that decision and then find out what free agency was going to be. Hindsight being 2020, I don't think he's saying, well, I'm not happy I'm in Atlanta. He's just saying, well, I didn't get the big long-term contract that I was looking for, but when the Braves did come along, give him the one year and $18 million, he basically ended up getting the qualifying offer. He just had to change addresses, and, you know, I, I can understand. I mean, he spent some time in St. Louis on some pretty good teams, and uh, clearly they made the National League Championship Series last year, so making a change, probably uh, not necessarily the top priority for him, but finding a big deal was. But by signing this one-year deal with the Braves, it gives him the opportunity at 29 to get back into free agency again next year. If he comes off a big year, that big deal or that multi-year contract at the very least would seem to be in the offing for Marcelo Zuna, and he's just going to have to go out and produce. So uh, early spring training results aside, I think the Braves have got the guy that they're looking for here. I don't think anybody should be worried about what he is or is not hitting in the Grapefruit League. But come March the 26th, if he wants to go on a tear that lasts about seven months, I think the Braves would be pretty happy with that. Yeah, next offseason, he won't have a qualifying offer attached to him, which is going to be a yep. big piece for him as well. And, you know, and think about this. If you would have asked Dallas Keuchel last season if 
knowing the way things played out, would you have taken the qualifying offer from the Astros? And what do you think Dallas Keuchel would have told you? Without question, I mean, he'd take it. Yeah, <laughs> it's it's all circumstantial. Yeah, it, it really is. And the, the circumstances around guys with the qualifying offer is something that yeah, we'll find out where the CBA takes that. I think it's something that deters a lot of opportunity for guys that have worked their whole career to get to free agency. And that's something they're going to have to figure out, but it's obviously a lot bigger than a podcast about the Atlanta Braves outfield. But Marcelo Zuna <laughs> and Ronald Acuna Jr. are going to be guys that are going to be locked in there in 2020 on an every night basis. Now, question now, Corey, beyond that becomes, What's the rest of the Braves outfield going to look like? And I've said from the outset that if Ender Inciarte is healthy and hitting enough, that his glove is worth enough to have him in center field most of the time. That, though, makes it a little bit intriguing to see what the Braves would do with veteran Nick Markakis and, of course, power-hitting Adam Duvall, who were big parts of the Braves in 2019 and the success that team had. This has the makings of a logjam, but as we go back to what we were talking about uh, in the infield as well, you love to have all the depth and the quality of it. I mean, it's very different kinds of players, different skill sets, different ages, different abilities. But this is a pretty good group of outfielders, but you only need three at a time. Yeah, I mean, and it kind of plays itself to the end of uh, what are you looking for? I mean, are you looking for the best defensive alignment they can possibly have? And we know that that includes injured Ciarte in center field in Acuna and right. But who's hitting and if Ender's not hitting then who is and who's the best right. move I mean because last year Nick Marquez couldn't hit lefties and we know that that's something that Ender and Ciarte struggled against the other guy Adam Duvall rakes against lefties mm -hmm. but I don't know there's they have they have overlapping qualities but certainly you know if you're give if you're giving up something defensively by having Acuna in center field and putting Marquez at this point, his career, you know, can still make the right play, but it's not going to make the spectacular play. You know, what what's what's best for this team? I, I, you know, I to me, I think playing that right defensive alignment and knowing your lineup is deep enough to compensate if Enciarte is not what he was two years ago. Uh, I think that to me makes the most sense. But man, this is it, it is a juggling act, and it's a, a world of difference from the days when, you know, Jordan Schaefer and Reed Johnson uh, were the guys that you were looking at as backup outfielders. Yeah, not only that, but with the point where the Braves were at one point where you had Evan Gaddis playing in left field because you needed the production. You were just <laughs> trying to figure out a way to make it work. Or even a year ago, I mean, Austin Riley played, what, a handful of games in Gwinnett the week of that he got called up, and all of a sudden he was the club starting left fielder for a while. So, you know, this is the kind of stuff that the Braves can look at and say, all right, yeah, we've got some decisions to make, but these are the kind of decisions that we want to be making. And I think not just Alex Anthopoulos, but for Brian Snitker, you know, they're going to earn their money this year by trying to mix and match these guys the right way. And I know that Anthopoulos is definitely a depth guy. You're not necessarily looking, though, to get Ozuna or Acuna a whole bunch of days off, but you're going to have to figure out with Acuna in center who's going to be the right fielder on a given night. And clearly Nick Markakis has played there for quite a while for the Braves most of the last, what, five seasons now. But his role when he re-signed, Alex Anthopoulos alluded to or flat out said, you know, we're looking at him in a reduced role as of right now, and that's something that Nick was aware of. So I don't know that, you know, where Nick Markakis is going to fit in from a start uh, basis, like how many starts is this guy going to get? Is it going to be anything close to what we used to see? The numbers game would indicate that it will not be. However, I would say, and I did say this on Twitter a little while ago, I could see him being in that Matt Joyce role where he pinch hits a lot and probably plays in 100 or so games. 
And it's a nice proven commodity to have if somebody lands on the injured list for an indetermined amount of time. I thought it was going to be an interesting conversation in terms of what Marcakis was looking for this offseason, whether he was looking for comfort or he was looking to make his case. And I mean by make his case, I think he's one double away from 500 right yes. now. Yep. 2,500 career hits is obtainable if he's getting consistent playing time. An outside shot at 3,000, he gets 500 doubles and 3,000 hits. I think we're having a different conversation uh, regarding uh, Nick Marcakis. And the fact that he took this role with this team at this stage in his career, I think is kind of telling about yeah. what Nick Marcakis wants. He's not chasing Cooperstown. He's not chasing even being in the conversation for that. This guy wants to win. It's interesting from the end that Adam Duvall has a non-guaranteed contract, right? 3.25 million non-guaranteed. If you have Nick locked up and you have Austin Riley and you start thinking about could Riley be in that Duvall role? I know in the, the infield podcast, we talked a lot about needing consistent playing time. Mm -hmm. But when you think about it's kind of negligible what they do against righties between Ciarte and Marcakis. Ciarte, 100 weighted run created plus in his career. Marcakis was 112 last year. Yeah. Neither of them hits lefties very well. We know that Duvall and Riley both uh, hit lefties. So, you know, this is again, it, it, there's a lot of mixing and matching. To go back to Marcakis, I think it was really interesting at this age, at this stage, that, that he was willing to come here uh, and take on this role when he could have been chasing history. Yeah, and I think it speaks a lot to the steady play and the professionalism that Nick Marcakis has brought to this club since he came over. I mean, this is 14 seasons in the big leagues now for him, and it, it, this is very different than when he signed on back in 2015 when the vaunted dual paths that the Braves were going to walk at that time <laughs> where we were going to remain competitive and not use the word rebuild under any circumstances whatsoever. Well, that didn't play out the way that I think that everyone in charge at the time would have liked. And while we can appreciate the stockpiling of the youth and some of the things that that has allowed the Braves to enjoy its success over the last few years for the club, still, Nick Marcakis came in because somebody needed to play right field. And I think at that time, they were trying to remain somewhat competitive. But 2015, 2016, 2017 were 90-plus losses apiece for that team. And then Nick, all of a sudden, had this resurgence in 2018 where he's you know, winning a silver slugger and making his first all-star game and all kinds of things were going on for him. And as you mentioned, there's some markers that he could reach when it comes to his statistical accomplishments in his career, that 500th double, he'd be the 63rd guy in baseball to get there. And that's baseball history. Mark Akis is hits at 2355 coming into this year. If he does find his way to 2,500 hits before he retires, not just this coming season, but if he gets those 145 hits he needs to get to 2,500, he would pass 14 Hall of Famers and get into the top 100 on the all-time list there. And again, I know hits are not necessarily the stat that you want to look at as the end-all, be-all, but when you're around for a long period of time and collect a whole lot of them, people tend to think a lot of what your career was in terms of a consistency. And for Nick Marcakis, he's brought a pretty consistent bat, consistent demeanor to the Braves, whether it's on the field or off the field or in the clubhouse or whatever you want to talk about it, he's been an invaluable member of this club. And I don't think you can discount that even if his role diminishes from what it was in recent years. Can I also throw in that if he can get 500 doubles and 2,500 hits, he'd be the 54th player to do that. Pretty good. There's just five Hall of Fame eligible players. So that takes away uh, guys that are currently in the Hall of Fame or guys who have fallen off the ballot. Just five Hall of Fame eligible players who aren't in Cooperstown, only three of them. Garrett Anderson, Johnny Damon, Todd Helton 
or guys who haven't been linked to performance enhancing drugs. So, I mean, debate his resume as much as you want, but it's a growing resume uh, without question. So um, this is going to be a, a lot of fun. I mean, I, I wanted to also kind of throw, I, I, when I was kind of debating with myself, like who's going to ultimately get the most playing time in this outfield, I was thinking about this. When you think about the right-hand pitching that the Braves are going to consistently see this season, just two left-handers are among the currently projected starters from the other four divisional teams. Yeah. So how much does that in particular weigh in? I mean, certainly as the game unfolds, there's going to be different pitching changes, obviously. But just in terms of facing two consistent left-handed starters in this division, uh, that might also kind of give us a window into who's going to get the most playing time in this outfield. That's a pretty telling statistic when it comes to who's going to be drawing starts for sure. Bullpens can change a lot of different things, though the three-batter minimum might change some of the way that works. But just looking at playing time and trying to figure out the center field scenario, because we talked about Ronald Acuna Jr. playing there when he needs to. We've talked a little bit about Ender Enciarte. If he's hitting healthy and, you know, with the glove that he has, it's making a lot of sense for him to get some time in center field, significant time in center field, I should say. Uh, You know, last year, after the two-month stint on the IL, when Ender came back, he might have had the best run that he'd had in a Braves uniform in terms of his overall production. I mean, I know he had a 200-hit season a couple of years ago, but, I mean, he was slugging over 500, a bunch of extra base hits, scoring runs, knocking in runs, and then the hamstring injury that kept him off the field for the rest of the year. And a lot of things were changed for the Braves last year by injury, but hearing from Ender Enciarte back at ChopFest, it was good to see that his focus had really been on you know what, that was a really challenging year and I needed to learn from that. And you can learn more from those kind of years than you do from perhaps your best years in the big leagues. And I think he's got the right mindset. He said that three gold gloves is not enough for him. He wants another one of those. And if the Braves can get gold glove quality defense from Ender Enciarte and hit him a little bit lower in the order, I was going through trying to figure out, as we did with Dansby Swanson on another episode of the show, where does he fit in in the lineup if Ender Enciarte is playing? For whatever reason, I looked at the seventh spot. He's a career 339 hitter down there with 184 career plate appearances. I know those are other years, other pitchers, other times, but it does tell me that, hey, this guy can be productive somewhere in the order besides leadoff or second in the order. Think back to when he would hit ninth and they would pit the pitcher eighth. You know, I think that was a, another place where he's had a lot of success yeah. at. And I think, you know, kind of adding that variable of the pitcher being there and the quality of pitches that he's going to get to me. Uh, you know, is always something that plays to Ender's benefit. But I mean, it's always about whether or not he can start fast, right? I mean, he's yeah. always been good in the second half. And you go back to, you know, his time in Arizona, and he was just a better player in the second half. His first year uh, in Atlanta, they took a West Coast swing uh, in Arizona, obviously, uh, for a stretch of that as well. And he just, you know, turned it on. You know, he's always been better after the break. It's just what can he do in the first half of the season to make you believe that he can do it for the duration of a year and not just be second half ender. I think that's a a big variable for him. Yeah. Consistency has got to be key for this guy. And that's been the question the last couple of years. I mean, he had a great second half in 2018. He was one of the Braves best hitters down the stretch when the rest of the offense, other than Ender and Ciarte was pretty much being represented by Ronald Acuna Jr. For the most part in that second half. And uh, perhaps Johan Camargo as well. Everybody else cooled off though in September. There weren't a ton of guys that were uh, putting up, the kind of numbers and the consistency that Ender was at that time as well. But uh, rounding out that outfield lineup, I mean, I think ideally, if I'm starting opening day, say it's tomorrow, you know, I would have Ender Enciarte in center field. I would have Ronald Acuna Jr. in right field. And obviously I'd have Marcelo Zuna over on left field. We talked some about Nick Marquez as we brought up Adam Duvall a bit. You mentioned his contract is not guaranteed, but I do think that based on the power aspect alone and the defensive value that he brings, 
if you were looking at the redundancy factor we mentioned about Austin Riley being carried just as a reserve, I would think Duvall would win that particular battle, and that decision would go with him. Uh, Duvall hit plenty of homers last year. He's got a major league pedigree as well, and he really bounced back from what was a rough 2018 season. I really see if the Braves are going to carry all these outfielders, that Adam Duvall might just become the number one power pinch hitting option off the bench for the Braves because other than Austin Riley, I don't think there's anybody else that could really do that job for them. No, and I mean he was so good in the in the postseason too. I mean you think about comes over in in the trade in 2018 from the Reds, and you know certainly he was an everyday player in Cincinnati, and he just did not acclimate to the role uh, uh, coming off of the bench. And you know, and, and I remember talking to Anthopoulos before the 2019 season. You know, and, and him saying, you know, man, we just don't know if this guy can can mentally adjust to that role. And, you know, he's, he's just used to getting his, you know, four ABs a day. And, and this is just a completely different animal for him. But then last year to rake like he did in Gwinnett and then have it translate when he came up and then still be, you know, when he needed to be a, a bat off the bench to still be, uh, you know, really positive uh, in, in that role and, and productive in that role. He does provide a lot in terms of that left-handed bat off the bench. And between him and Riley, you're still developing Riley, right? Yeah. And you do want, how much does it hurt the development of Riley if you're not getting him consistent at-bats? I know we harp on that a lot with him, but that's still a major factor. You have what you have with Adam Duvall at this point in his career. Right. You know he plays plus defense, and he's been a multi-time Gold Glove finalist. Um, you know that the power is there. I think he's going to be on this roster. I think it makes a ton of sense for him to be on this roster. And certainly, I think we learned a lot about him last year in the way that he performed in a role that he certainly wasn't didn't seem suited for the previous season. And he got 120 at-bats for the Braves after coming up from Gwinnett, where all he did was crack 29 home runs and 94 AAA games, which had to be a stark departure from a guy who had made the big leagues to stay, it seemed like, for a while in Cincinnati. He was an all-star, for crying out loud, at one point, hitting 30 home runs in the big leagues. Next thing you know, you got to go back to AAA and figure it out. But he accepted that assignment, which told me a lot about Adam Duvall because he knew he had to get his career back on track and that a big league job was going to be hard to find. But hitting all those home runs, I know that the ball was a little livelier down in AAA as well, but then coming up to the Braves and hitting 10 home runs and 120 at-bats and, oh, by the way, a pretty big postseason home run as well for Adam Duvall, who had a very nice National League Division series all around. And there's just a lot to like, I think, about having Adam Duvall and when you've got a 26th man and you're looking for your best available players, this has got to be a decision that's going to be among the most difficult for the Braves if they are trying to figure out which way they want to go to give versatility versus which way do we want to go to make sure that we've got the offensive firepower that we need at all times as well. I think Adam Duvall is kind of a critical decision in the makeup of this roster, not because of you know what you've got in the starting nine every night, but just because of what you're going to be carrying on the bench and what you might be able to do in the late innings as a result of that. I know we don't put too much stock into actual production uh, a lot of times uh, in spring, but I think playing time is the least of interest here because yeah. you look at the first 12 games and he started nine of them. Yeah, I mean, you know, the strikeouts are way down uh, this spring. I'm not saying that that's indicative of anything, but after what we saw to him in the postseason, 879 OPS, you mentioned the home runs, that it was ended up being a single-season Gwinnett record. They're either getting a really, really long look at him uh, to figure things out or showcasing him if they ultimately don't end up picking up his contract and letting him go. Uh, but one way or the other, uh, Adam Duvall is getting a ton of playing time in the Grapefruit League. It's going to be interesting to see what the Braves decide on as far as that's concerned. And we've talked about five big league outfielders that are really going to be in the mix here. The Braves are going to have to make their decisions on playing time, roster spots, all those kinds of things. 
Not to mention that if you want to look at Austin Riley as a possible corner outfielder as well, at least in left field, you got five and a half options. We'll call it that, that you could look at that are big league ready or big league tested at this point. A lot of eyes, though, this spring training, obviously on the two top position player prospects the Braves have in big league camp. And that would be Christian Pache and Drew Waters, who are two guys that seemingly are mentioned 1A and 1B just about anywhere that you go. Pache a little bit higher rated on a lot of the composite top 100 lists across baseball, but you will find Drew Waters' name on there as well. Pache, the standout defensive guy who's put an offensive profile together the last couple of years that makes him a very promising big league prospect. And then, of course, Drew Waters is a switch hitter who's shown a lot offensively thus far and can play pretty well in the outfield, can run a little bit as well. Both guys that you have to like, but... I think, Corey, both guys that will benefit from going back to AAA Gwinnett to really finish off some of the maturation that they're going to need and some of the polishing that they're going to need before becoming big league players. And in particular, the strikeouts, the number one thing you have to look at with Waters of the two being the most alarming, not only in AAA, but also what we've seen this spring. you got to be able to put the bat on the ball consistently. And for both those guys, that's going to be pretty darn important in their development. Yeah, I think back to when Brandon Phillips arrived in Atlanta and, you know, Ozzie Albies was just up the street in Gwinnett and that was Phillips wasn't playing well. That was, you know, okay, let's see Ozzie. Let's see Ozzie. And I think whatever happens with Ender and Ciarte, the fact that Christian Pache is going to be up the street in Gwinnett, I think you're going to hear when Ender's struggling, Braves Twitter is going to be active and alive, reminding everyone that Christian Pache is just up the street and ready oh, to no and conceivably ready to roll. But, you know, the guy needs more time uh, without question. As much as people want to knock Ender, the guy has three gold gloves. He's been an all-star. He's had a 200-hit season. Take your time. Uh, These two will be up, and they will be up, and they will stay up. You've heard so many great glowing reviews from everybody who matters when it comes to Pache's defense. Um, You know, I've had many conversations with Drew Waters. This kid is as smart as it gets uh, at this stage in his career, you know, being a switch hitter. He's so in tune with his swing, just his ability to break down what he can do differently from the left and the right side of the plate. These two are going to be special. The amount of outfielders that this team has, there is absolutely no rush to bring them up. And I think that's maybe the best thing you can say about their situation. And they're both 21 years old. So we're not talking about prospects that might be getting a little bit long in the tooth down there. I mean, and this is the same case I made with Austin Riley as well. As age 22 season, it's not a bad place to still be in AAA because the door has not been completely opened at the big league level. And we may get to a place where something doesn't work in the Braves outfield plans. And one of these two guys is called upon at some time during the summer to help the Braves kind of figure things out, maybe navigate an injury. You don't really know what could happen. Trades, different things that could be in the offing that could create opportunity as well. There's a lot of things that are going to happen over the next six, seven months of a major league baseball season that we just don't know how it's going to go yet. But not only the depth at the major league level, but the excitement, Corey, of having a couple of prospects like this in the minor leagues. I think the Braves are in a really good place when it comes to the overall present day state of the outfield and what the future could hold for the Atlanta outfield as well. Yeah, I mean, as much as we talk about, you know, needing to replace Josh Donaldson's bat and having uh, Marcelo Zuna step into this. I mean, remember, he's only here for a year and you know, right. you've got Nick Marcakis for a year. I mean, next spring, we're talking about the potential of Pache, Waters and Acuna in the same outfield. I mean, it could be a very special uh, situation for this team. And I mean, there's no reason to push anything. They have everything set up to have a lot of depth this year. 
a lot of options to play with, and they are in a very good state in terms of this outfield. Yeah, they really are. To back that up, Ronald Acuna Jr. signed long-term. Ender Inciarte has two years left on the extension he signed a few years ago. And then not only is it Marquecas and Ozuna, but also Adam Duvall, all going to hit free agency in the winter. So at that point, you know, all bets are off, and, and a lot of different things could happen, but it's nice to have two guys who have reached AAA, still have some work to do there, especially with the contact rate, that could allow them to be ready to step into full-time roles in the not-too-distant future, barring what other kind of plans or acquisitions the Braves might make between now and their imminent arrival, we'll call it that, from AAA Gwinnett to the big leagues in Atlanta. It's not a very far drive, and both those guys are certainly just a phone call away. So we'll see uh, what plays out over the course of the season, but that's an in-depth look at what's happening with the Atlanta Braves outfield, some decisions to make, some exciting prospects not too far away Corey, I would say the Braves have to be pretty happy with that. But ultimately, they're just looking to get consistent production night in and night out, regardless of who's rounding out that outfield with Ronald Acuna Jr. and with Marcelo Zuna. Yep, going to be a heck of a show to watch these guys. Uh, and it's going to be a, a great defensive outfield. And by the way, Gwinnett's going to be one hot ticket when yeah. you start thinking about all those pieces we're talking about there. But yeah, this Braves outfield is exciting and it's going to be potent. No, it most definitely is. Another heck of a show for us as we round out this Braves positional preview series, the podcast edition. Corey, I've really enjoyed it. We got through all five parts. We've talked a lot about the Atlanta Braves and what the current state of affairs is, but also what the future may hold. So really appreciate you making all this time. And once again, want to ask you to tell everybody about your book, Tales from the Atlanta Braves Dugout, brand new edition that just came out this month. I'll let folks know where they can find it and what to be looking for. Yeah, you can find it uh, on Amazon, uh, Barnes & Noble, and Books A Million both carry it, so you can look on their websites to see if they have it at the store near you. Updated version for my 2016 book. Wrote 15,000 new words for this thing, so we've got uh, two complete new chapters, a new uh, epilogue with Chipper Jones landing in the Hall of Fame, so check it out. Really proud of the Freddie Freeman chapter, so I hope everyone enjoys it. Yep, wonderful, wonderful stuff. Tales from the Atlanta Braves dugout. He is the author of that book, Corey McCartney. Make sure you follow him on Twitter at Corey J. McCartney, and make sure you're checking out his work on a regular basis for our friends over at Talk and Shop as well. Corey, appreciate all your time. Look forward to talking with you again soon. All right, thank you. So that'll wrap up this five-part preview of the Atlanta Braves for the 2020 season. We've done the entire pitching staff We started with the rotation. We moved on to the bullpen. We got behind the plate to talk about the catchers. We dissected the Braves infield, and now we've covered the Atlanta Braves outfield as well. Hope you've enjoyed all of that, and hope you'll recommend the show to a friend. You can subscribe to From the Diamond on Apple Podcasts, Google Play, Spotify, SoundCloud, and Stitcher. Shares, ratings, reviews, subscriptions, all welcome, so keep those coming in. And be sure you follow along on Twitter at FromTheDiamond underscore. I am at Grant McCauley, and Corey is at Corey J. McCartney. The show is on Instagram at From the Diamond, and I am at Grant McCauley there as well. And everything, including this Braves positional preview series, both the podcast and the written version, as well as every episode of the show and all the other articles, can be found at FromTheDiamond.com. My thanks again to Corey McCartney for being a part of this Braves positional preview series, and my thanks again to you for listening to From the Diamond. As always, I'm Grant McCauley. I look forward to talking with you again soon here on From the Diamond. And until then, so long, everyone. <laughs>